and welcome to another episode of Gaming Broadcast. I'm your host, Jamie Dale, and today is going to be a little bit different than other episodes, and by little, I mean, I don't know, significantly much. There has been no prep work. Um, I usually prep for interviews with some sort of reading or some sort of like elongated conversation or exploration of the topic beforehand. But today, me and Ian are trying something different, which, by the way, I'm joined by by Ian Danskin. Hello. Hi, Ian. Ian is from Innuendo Studios. You may know him from his most famous work of being on my podcast. Twice. <laughs> well, the other episode hasn't released yet. Yeah, we don't know what order these are coming out. <laughs> um, yeah, well, it's actually the fact that the other episode hasn't been released yet relates to the theme of today's conversation, which mm. is that of of where where has Jamie been? It's like the Where's Carmen San Diego. Topical, because there's a new show. Is there? Yeah. See, I'm hip. I'm so hip. <laughs> don't, um, don't admit that you didn't know. <laughs> uh, the youths, the youths will be so disappointed. Uh, yeah, so some of you might have noticed that my episodes have been coming out with even less regularity than they used to. Um, and some of that is for some really cool reasons, and some of that is for some not cool reasons. And I, I've I've been struggling with how to tell people and how to like release this information publicly. It, I'm not like an emotional, it sounds horrible. I'm not like an emotional processor. That's not true. I don't know. <laughs> um, Ian, how would you describe it? It's I, I would, I would describe you as a person who processes emotions rather a lot, but not the way most people do. Oh, delightful. You mean not publicly on the internet for, uh, for that is not what I mean. Uh, <laughs> although that is true. <laughs> Um, I don't know. It sort of seems like sometimes you can tell me this is wrong, but it sometimes seems like you've got the feel your emotions mode and the process emotions mode. And sometimes they're like two parallel tracks that don't always intersect. It's funny. They are often happening simultaneously. Um, but mm -hmm. yeah, uh, recently I heard a, it was a podcast episode and I'm from, oh, Gosh, good gosh, her name is escaping me. Um, oh, by Leah, that was her name. Leah Tao. Ooh, I hope I pronounced that right. Um, she was originally part of The Moth. She was recording a podcast for a long time called Strangers. And somewhere along the way, I, her life got, you know, became a thing that interfered with the work of the podcast. And it became this really long hiatus. And I kind of forgot about it for a while. And then I checked in one day and there was like a 15 minute, really beautiful monologue about what was going on in her life. And then, and I found it really moving, but also throughout the, throughout the monologue, she kept saying like, there was a lot of embarrassment or fear that this wasn't the right thing to do. But I realize that there's so much of that fear in myself about talking about my life and what is hard in it. There's so much of a pressure to just push out this everything is going fine mentality. And it's taken me a year to be like, some things did not go fine. <laughs> some things went wonderfully, but some things did not go fine. And it did affect my ability to to kind of pro produce things make things. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of shame, I think, that goes along with that. So a lot of this podcast is about me taking the opportunity to be vulnerable with my good friend Ian, because Ian makes me feel uh, great. That's a weird statement. Mm. Give me another word. No, I'm. you're sticking with great. I like that one. <laughs> Just, 
<laughs> that should be your new tagline for your YouTube channel. <laughs> and your Windows Studios makes you feel great. Uh, um, just like Capri said. Not what I what the commenters say. <laughs> um, but yeah, so and I I'm so we're you're, we're bringing you in today into this conversation because Ian's life has has also changed a lot. One thing that has not changed is that we're friends. Although I think probably the amount of communication that goes between us is is less we'll say variable <laughs> yeah which is funny because i'm actually like geographically closer to you yes uh you are you have i feel like we traded uh space for time so we now have less space between us but also less time to share <laughs> oh ooh, it's like a positive correlation yeah they go together if it goes up and goes up if it goes down they both go down mm-hmm. um but yeah so we're we're gonna chat with you today about what's different in our lives um this isn't like an apology necessarily because i'm working really hard on not judging myself by my output but also acknowledging the fact that my output in other areas of my life is a lot yeah which you'll soon learn about um, but yeah, I wanted to, to bring people into the conversation and to share what's been going on in a way that millennials do by being super private, super publicly for thousands of people to access. So is that, a, is that where we begin? <laughs> <laughs> Me making fun of my age group? Well, um, it seems like the appropriate segue <laughs> here is Jamie, what <laughs> happened this year? Oh goodness. Um, in 2018. Yeah, it's true. I guess we are doing 2018, although we can include uh, the beginning of 2019, new beginnings. Okay. Um, so 2018. Oh, God. So far away. Um, so in 2018, some key things happened. I left the job that I had had for three years, which also happened to be the community that I had been a part of for three years. Um, f- technically, a total of five years, if you count the fact that my community was also my grad school community, because both of those were in the same place of Austin, Texas. So I left Texas after living there for five years to start a new job, which is in involves me living in New York City, which is riveting. Um, but also the summer camp I run is in Massachusetts. So I'm there during the summer. Also in 2018, I got into a horrific car accident. It was a, a, a rear, I hate saying rear ender because it was more like a hit and run. Someone smashed me into a, a bus stop, uh, totally demolished my car, went to the hospital. I was fine, a little shaken up and a little traumatized and maybe a little broke, still waiting, <laughs> still waiting on the outcome of me protesting the thousands of dollars they think I should pay. Uh, my dog died, which was really hard. We can add more. De- should we add more details to the story later? Because I feel like there's like small, minute details that make the story like more soap opera esque. Yeah. Okay, we'll go back to it later. We'll just do a quick run through. So move, starting a new job. Um, I feel like other things happened. What other? Oh, my computer got smashed for a while. That was one. That's probably the biggest reason. <laughs> I didn't do work for a while. Yeah. Is in the process of moving, which from the time my old job ended and the time my new job started was less than 24 hours. Basically, my old job ended on a Sunday and my new job started um, in, you know, the Northeast (laughs) the next on Monday. So that was fun. And in the process of that move, uh, US, UPS, not USPS, but UPS smashed my 
smash my computer, which is now fixed. It's delightful. It now is a battle scar to match the one on my head um, from the car accident. I know. It's very cute, though. I kind of liked it. We both wound up a little beaten and battered when we showed up. I'm going to start calling your computer Jamie, too. Thank you. But also this year we did, I mean, South by Southwest was in 2018. Like, I shouldn't forget, like... That feels like five years ago. I know. It's crazy. It was... Pax, Pax South was also there, right? Mm-hmm. Like our first, oh my God, that was last year. So I really started like being public with what I was doing in terms of speaking publicly. I guess that's what public means. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so totally new place, new community, new job. <laughs> also, and Ian, I haven't told you this and I waited so excitedly to tell you on air. So my new job, right, started in, in April. And my new job was the assistant director of a a Jewish science and technology camp, uh, which is in many ways a dream job. I get to to hang out with my with my little Jews doing nerd stuff. Um, Right. And I love summer camps. I love the experience of crafting a meaningful experience for other people. The magic circle, basically, but for summer camp. Um, if you, I can link to what episode I'm referencing when I mention the magic circle. <laughs> I understood uh, that reference. Th- thank you. Thank you. That's why you're here. Um, so in the midst of that, so I started that new job and about three weeks ago, th- that job changed because I actually became the director because my director at my new job left. So I'm actually now officially the director, Ian. They offered me the official director job. Oh, you're not interim anymore. <laughs> no, I'm, um, full. I was going to say full D, but full oh direction. I am so happy for you. Thank you. It's I will also exciting. probably never see you again now. <laughs> <laughs> no, ideally I'll have another person, an assistant director. But So that's like a huge change because I didn't talk about this a lot, but my last job was a wonderful job and wonderful people, but it was also like not a, a leadership position in the traditional sense of the word. And so I've gone from being in a position where they've quite nicely told me that there's nowhere... Um, there wasn't much room for me to grow in that way to a job where that's just, I am, I am the decider to quote a president of, of uh, years, of a years president past. who shall not be named. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's so, been, it's been a wild ride. I think, I think I need to pause for a moment to congratulate you more officially. You. Like I am so happy and so proud of you right now. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it was it was new. It was um, not what I was expecting. Like, yeah, you were ago. there. Like, how many months were you there before you basically became the boss? Um, May, June, July, August, September, October, November. Uh, eight, eight months. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was cool that like when I worked in a gelateria, it took me like eight months to get promoted to shift clerk. But um, I wasn't running the place. <laughs> yeah, for those of you who don't know, the director of a summer camp is kind of like being the the maven of your own little kingdom in like a nice little way, like just for two months out of the mm. year. Um, so you're, and more than that, you're like deeply responsible for people's lives. I think that's ultimately the thing that I'm feeling the most weight of and the most sense of responsibility towards is that for, you know, two months out of the year, I'm responsible for keeping every single person alive, healthy, emotionally, like supported um cared for and also like curious and learning and all the other things that we do do at camp you have taken over the kingdom ganon <laughs> hopefully zelda <laughs> <laughs> 
Why go for the evil guy? Jeez. Uh, you're the usurper. I know, and it's so exciting. I mean, it's definitely my dream job in so many ways. It's just really strange to process all of those feelings. Yeah. Uh, and for a while I didn't, I just had, there's so much work to be done. And well, yeah. I, I, also like it was so many things in such short succession. Like mm-hmm. I know one of the themes earlier was like, I haven't even begun to process all the things that happened because I've immediately gone into this intense work mode. Um, and so many unexpected things happened right before that. Yeah. And it's super boring to list out all the things that have happened to you. Like after a while, people don't. Don't care. Like so many things happened that I've, I, for, I just forgot some. Like my one of my grandmothers died. Like my mom's wife's mom died. My godfather died. Actually, uh-huh. both my grandmothers died. <laughs> Jeez, I f- forgot one of my grandmothers. This is so bad. Yes, many people like have passed in in my life as well. All kind of around the summer. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's quite all right. Um, it's just been wild. And then the office itself I've been in is like. People have come and gone. It's just been like a bunch. It's been a bunch of stuff. I mean, change is pretty normal for life. But after a while, <laughs> every time you talk to someone, you have new some new earth shattering change that has happened in your life. It gets kind of like boring. Yeah. But, I, don't, <laughs> I mean, I'm not bored, but <laughs> I, I I can empathize with the feeling is what I mean. Mm, yeah. Well, it's kind of like a soap opera, right? Like every every week, tune in to a new. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever actually watched a soap opera. My grandma visited one time when I was very young uh, and she watched a lot of Days of Our Lives. And I can say that soap operas uh, are actually not as action packed as you might think, because it's always some incredible revelation that they have to draw out to get you to watch every week. So there's a lot of like, oh, like shit's going to really go down, but someone's going to spend three solid episodes hiding in a bathroom. That sounds like what I wanted to do at some point. Exactly. Your life has been more exciting. Your life has been what a soap opera claims to be. Mm, mm, yes, I am. I am the life that soap operas base their stories. <laughs> it's not so bad. I really am excited. I mean, and that's kind of the sad part is it's it's really interesting to describe what has happened because so much of it is like amazing. Like moving was amazing. The new job was amazing. This new honor that I received that I received, earned, got, whatever you want to call it, is is also amazing. Um, yeah, it's just a lot. It's a lot of stuff. And so I wanted to take time to, like, tell people all the, all the stuff. So if you're wondering why I haven't been recording podcasts. Although the funny part is I do have a lot of podcasts recorded. I just didn't have the ability to edit them. Mm-hmm. Like, revisiting the past via interviews was actually very difficult. I think like emotionally it was it's really hard to listen to episodes that were recorded before I moved to the the East Coast because mm, it feels like such a long time ago. Yeah. Um have you started going back into them yet? No, I haven't. I'm I'm actually hoping that this episode kind of gets me in some place where I can can do that in a way that makes more sense because some of the content is really good. I do have to apologize to all the people that I interviewed though because it's been like a year since the interview was recorded. So God forbid their opinions have changed substantially (laughs) (laughs) since then. Um, Some of the projects I mentioned in the episodes that they were working on, I have no idea if they're still going. (laughs) It's 
podcasts. So I might have to add like an addendum or something to them. I don't know. But it doesn't matter. Podcasts are supposed to be evergreen anyway. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. And that's been I I was really determined to finish the Appalachia and video games, the playing Appalachia series. And I, I did do that. And that I feel like was a great accomplishment, which I did with Ian's help. Thank you, Ian. I did one episode. Yeah, you edited it, though, and it was so nice. Oh, my mm. God. I could just make the cover art for it and, and post it. Anyway, so that's, like, a large scale. There's, like, some sadder details, which I don't know. We can talk about some of them. But I first want to hear, like, in your life has also changed. People might not know it because you present as such a, a stable and consistent young man. Uh, do I now? I don't know. Do you? I think so. Uh, it's hard to tell what other people think about me. <laughs> Um, my life has been, uh, if your life has been revolution, mine has been evolution, I think. Um, <laughs> Viva la evolution. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, French, French speakers. That was horrible. Well, we'll just say it was Spanish. <laughs> mm, that's even worse. <laughs> um, yeah, 2018 was a year of very gradual change. To the point where when I looked back on it at the end of the year, I realized like how much had happened and how much had changed didn't really occur to me until I was reflecting on all of it. So like my month by month of last year was pretty much just, well, you know, get a video online every month. Uh, That's the goal. And the changes that that ultimately led to, like the changes to my channel and the changes to my process were mostly just like pecking away at things uh, and then finding, I don't know, I feel like I'm being horribly inarticulate right now. Um, I had a number of professional successes that kind of surprised me when I actually sit down and tally all the numbers. Me and you both, buddy. 2018. Yeah. yeah. Um, Wild ride for success. <laughs> So like I had uh, I had two videos break a million views last year. Oh, my God. That's so many people uh, who so care about people. your opinion. Um, and I, I try not to fixate too much on numbers like a number is just a number, but also like, hey, that is a milestone. And that's kind of impressive. Um, so, yeah, my my smash video broke a million views towards the end of the summer. And then my my very first video, this is Phil Fish, uh, broke a million right before the new year. <laughs> I feel like you're just haunted by the specter of Phil Fish. <laughs> yeah, well, he's a he's a character who has a way of sticking around even when he's gone. So I guess that that's what uh, they call haunting. Phil Fish is the specter of indie video game development as well. <laughs> the, so the specter haunting Europe. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then actually, like really early this year, uh, my video about Walking Dead, Telltale's Walking Dead season two also broke a million. Um, so many millions. I am not going to break a million with anything again for a long time. Like nothing else I've done even comes close to the success of those three videos. But it's sort of these like milestones that you can point to and be like, yes, I have videos that have done a million views. You know what's so funny about that is the things that people yell about online about the most, like in regards to your videos, are not the ones that the most amount of people are watching. Yeah. Um, Isn't that weird? It's it's also interesting to see like how people relating to videos has changed in the five years I've been doing it. Like when This Is Phil Fish came out, it, people wrote like articles about that video 
And now the numbers that video did in its first week are just kind of not that impressive to people anymore. Like no one, nothing I release ever gets an article written about it anymore, even though I I release stuff now that does about the same numbers in its first week. I don't know. I feel like your your stuff on feminism got got a lot of articles written about it, right? Yeah, I mean the the Angry Jack series got a lot written about it, but that was you know less than a year after this is Phil Fish. Mm, that's so, true. That's true. Yeah, I feel like that like, was also timely. Yeah, it was about a thing going on, but I mean um, the alt right playbook is very timely right now, but nobody like writes articles about it, you know? Oh God, yeah, that's true. There's so much there's so much material to write. <laughs> uh, I I did the math last year. So there was a point last year where it looked like I needed to start thinking how I was going to wrap the channel up because it sort of seemed that I was doing all right, but my channel wasn't really growing. Like financially, um the Patreon, the way Patreon tends to work is you've always got a steady trickle of people either lowering or canceling their pledges like people's financial situations change or they're just not as into your new content like you don't take it too personally but that's kind of a steady outward trickle that's just happening all the time and then every time you release a video you get a little bump and so long as the amount of people coming in from the bump outnumber the steady trickle of people going out you stay in the black and i was looking at my numbers and just realizing that like okay for the last seven or eight months the channel has not like the patreon has not gone up by more than ten dollars a month um which means like i'm not really going to make any savings my material existence is not meaningfully going to change i am happy to be where i am like i was financially stable i wasn't really making savings but i was stable and i was doing work that i cared about and a lot of people would like you know give their right arm to just be able to make kind of whatever video they want and know that they could put food on the table doing it. Um, but it also kind of meant that any other endeavor I might ever want to do wasn't really feasible. Like I wasn't saving money to work on anything else. It didn't really leave time to work on anything else. Uh, and I kind of realized like this project that i'm doing as much as i love it is just kind of treading water and it's not going to go anywhere and i'm happy with it right now but there's going to come a day where if i want to make if i want to make anything else i'm going to have to scale back or stop doing videos on youtube um and so i like wrote down like my list of topics of things i want to talk about and i was like well at the very least i'm not going to think about closing the channel up before the alt-right playbook is done and looking at all the topics i have i'm like okay i tend to do these in batches of three or four videos and then i usually like take one or two months off to talk about other stuff so looking at how many topics i've got and how many breaks between videos would happen i've got at least two years of planned content to get through and then I thought, well, maybe in two years time, sometime in 2020 is when I'd start thinking about like maybe scaling the channel back to like just put out videos once in a while and start looking at other projects. And then, you know, like everything kind of changed in, in like the last quarter of the year. Suddenly um, the channel started growing uh, a lot faster than it ever had. And now it goes up by like sometimes over a hundred dollars a month. Um 
And now I don't really know what the plan is. Like, uh, am I still maybe going to wrap up someday? Am I not? I don't know. I now can maybe save money to, like, pay people to help me with other projects so I don't have to go them alone. And then maybe I can fit them with my schedule right now. It's very unexpected. Pay me to be your podcast host. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I could not possibly like you are making a lot more money than I am right now, and the amount of money I could pay you would not really meaningfully impact your life. Oh, I know, but emotionally, you'd pay me emotionally. Mm, okay. Um, no, I, that's so. The precarity of a internet celebrity's existence, I think, is a stressful one for me. Yes. Not, not, was that like a stating the obvious moment? <laughs> no, no, it's a, it's a yes that resonates. Um, I'm going to let you tell me why before I tell you why. Oh, well, I mean, I've always done, um, the work I do is often a lot of work. I mean, I work a lot. I hate to belabor that point. I love my job. So I work a lot because I love my job and I love the people I'm working with. And there's also just a lot to be done, especially when you're responsible for, you know, health, happiness, growth of other humans. Um, but the, the paychecks are consistent, right? So I roughly can predict like my life in some sort of meaningful way. And it's often not dependent on how many people cared about my opinion that month. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, my paycheck stays the same whether people want to listen to me talk or not. And I feel like, especially with my podcast, one of the reasons I always loved it was because it was so separate from my, the thing that paid my bills, basically. Um, and so there's, I often have a lot of respect and admiration for you and your like emotional ability to process, you know, precarity due to the fact that your life is often, you know, based on the whim of whether or not people like you that day. Well, it's based on a lot of whims. It's like, did people like my last video? Does the algorithm like me this month? Oh yeah. Um, The algorithm. Also, I mean, like. I never know on any given month, is Patreon going to do something that means a lot of people's cards won't get charged because they kind of have a habit of like tinkering with their charging mechanism and then a whole lot of pledges decline and you're out a lot of money that maybe you never get back? Or are they going to make business decisions that make people not want to use the platform anymore? They keep flirting with that idea. There was just recently a an interview with the founder of Patreon where he's talking Basically about how despite the platform being incredibly successful, they say that they are not making enough money to be sustainable, which sort of seems like it's code for we took on a lot of investors and those investors expect a return on investments. So even though we are making enough money to do the platform as is, we are not making enough profit to make other people happy. So it's like, okay, well, what features are you going to add? And does anybody actually want them? And if they don't want them, is it going to like lose me patrons? And like that precarity of just always knowing that like people can tinker with systems that I depend on to live and change my income dramatically at any time. Uh, yes. There's such like a lack of control there. And also I'm a small enough fish as far as these platforms are concerned that messing with me doesn't 
really factor into their bottom line. Like so long as the big fish are happy, if I lose half my money, it doesn't really matter to them. It matters to me. Thank you. That being said, it is weird to be all doom and gloom when I'm not entirely sure why, but suddenly towards the end of the year, uh, views started converting into patrons in a much higher degree than they did before. Um, And I am more economically stable than I've been in a very long time. And that's kind of awesome. But, you know, anytime things are stable, I'm like, how long is this going to last? <laughs> There's kind of like the weird psychological effect of like good things. Uh, yeah. I think especially it's it's kind of funny to me because your life has been relatively stable, but changed, as you said, in like kind of in, in a lot of ways. I think even the content that you've been putting out in the last year has been very different than than previous years. And my life like on the outside changed really dramatically. But I think like in some ways was more stable in terms of, I don't want to say finances, because that sounds mean. I mean, there's been some like, you know, I'm flirting with, you know, medical insurance companies that want me to pay like $15,000 for something (laughs) that was not my fault. But like, other than that, it's been pretty, pretty stable, right? Like I get up every day and I go to work. Like that hasn't changed at all in the past year. There hasn't been a day where I've woken up and you know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, well, you don't take sense. weekends. <laughs> oh, you're revealing all my secrets to the internet. <laughs> Was that not the point of this episode? I know. Well, it's funny because my, um, someone, a boss, a supervisor, someone I admire sent me an article. She's, she's older than me about how millennials love to talk about how much they work. And so now uh, I'm like really self-conscious about it every time I talk about how love is a very interesting choice of words. <laughs> like, but we do though. I mean, I feel like whenever, and I, whenever we, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Whenever I'm talking to folks about reasons they don't participate in like social action or that they don't do certain things or blah, 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 or why they don't date. I use this excuse all the time is <laughs> like, I don't, it's not an excuse. It feels very real to me. It's like, I work too much. Um, yeah. and I feel like it, it's very much so our age group and I'm torn between always wondering like, is this true? Do we have to work this much? And then the other one is like, we, <laughs> all right, let me back up here. This is full vulnerability, Jamie being unable to speak. I am prepared. Thank you. This, um, so there's this one side of me that says millennials say they work all the time because we are working all the time because we're economically in a, a a more strange and more precarious position than the folks that came before us in terms of how the economy works. Precarious labor, I think, is much more likely. Contract labor is much more likely. Um, I feel like things change at a pace that is, accelerated but then on the other hand i'm like but maybe we just talk about how much we work all the time because we've been told that or we've been we've gotten ourselves into the mindset that if you're not working you're not you know good (laughs) like maybe we don't actually work all the time but we feel the pressure to say that we're working all the time because we judge each other based on on how much we're working i feel Um, like there's a there's a lot like there's a lot of factors to why we talk about work so much, 
part of it, I think, is that, um, you know, one of the themes of my career in the last year is that no amount of stability makes you feel like it won't just be taken away soon. And so you feel like you have to work a lot because you can't count on the money to still be there in the future. And so you've got to put it all away now or even just right now you are able to work. So you'd better work because you may not be able to do it like beyond financials. Um, I don't always know, like, am I going to still be able to make videos two years from now? I better make all the videos I want to make while I'm able to make them because I don't know how long I'm going to get to do this. Uh, and I think that like really motivates people to be doing whatever they can whenever they're able to do it. And there's this fear that the bottom's going to drop out. And so you need to work extra all the time. And there's also like the, the side hustle experience, like so much of millennial effort is going into additional work. Like you're driving an Uber or you're renting out uh, an extra room as an Airbnb uh, or you're working just a part time job somewhere or you're taking contract gigs on the side of whatever your main gig is. Or maybe your main gig is just five different contract gigs. Um, and so you get that constant feeling anytime you're not working that you could be working. And like that's what I experience the most is like I think the reason I talk about work as much as I do is because whenever I'm not working, I know I could be working like I make my own hours. I work from home. Any minute of the day, it just kind of feels this gnawing stress that like whatever I'm doing that isn't work, I should be working. And so I feel like we talk about work a lot because it often feels like that's all we get to do. And so that's all we have to talk about. It's true. I also think like the amount of stuff that I'm interested in doing is really high, which is probably a result of the Internet exposing me to all of the cool thing you know what i mean like i mean i think it's also so partly due to you just being a creative and capable person <laughs> it's true i'm very curious it's one of the values of the summer camp i work at and like i maybe one day we should have a discussion about the dark side of curiosity <laughs> so um, here's a question though mm -hmm. um do you feel like your way of exploring your curiosity is to turn the thing you're curious about into a project Depends uh, on certain things. So with the answer is yes, to some extent. Um, but there are some things that I'm interested in that I don't turn into a project that I keep very private. Like I love poetry. I'm a big poetry fan, but I don't know how often that would come to mind when people get to know me. Hmm. Right. Like I don't produce poetry. I not publicly anyway. There's some like bad stuff hidden on Tumblr from like 2013, I think. <laughs> um, but I love it. I love reading it. I, I love digesting it. If I have time, I love to sit in the morning with coffee and like a literature anthology and just like read through short stories and, and poetry. I don't turn that into a project. Hmm. Um, but for other things like my love of video games, I, I did turn it into a project and I have to reflect on the reason I started the podcast because it, it, that was it, right? Like, I, I loved video games. I studied them in grad school. I I wanted to do them for work, but wasn't in a place where I could do them for work. And so I think I turned my love into a hobby because 
that was the only way I would get to do it because no one was willing yet to pay me for it. <laughs> um, and then it changed a little bit, right? Because I became the director of a summer camp during which of one of our workshops, it's not my only favorite one. I love all of them, but one of them is video game design and the kids there like love games and I get to like create playful game oriented, nerd oriented, science oriented programming. Um, and so the, the podcast at some points just felt like extra work. And I, does that make sense? I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling. No. Um, yeah. Um, some things are too personal for me to make a project. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like I, I've known people who don't seem to know how to explore a hobby without turning it into work. I've also known people who don't know how to make friends without doing a project with them. Um, oh, I do think that that's a thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that second thing you said about making friends, the other reason I started a podcast, which is why I want to continue doing it and push myself to do it is because there are so many people in the world that I want to have conversations with and it doesn't work to just email them and say, let's talk. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because we're, you know, in a hustle generation, no one. Also, it's creepy. I don't know why it's <laughs> creepy. I don't know why it's less creepy to say, let's talk for an hour and let me record it and put it on the Internet. And that's somehow less creepy than just like, let's have a conversation. Yeah. Um, in normal circumstances, recording a conversation and publicizing it is usually, a, I think, a, a crime. Right. If someone doesn't know they're being recorded. Yeah. I think it should well, be if it's uh, not. They yeah. could probably sue you for it. <laughs> it's probably true. Yeah, but for whatever reason. So the podcast actually became a way for me to get to know people and creators and makers or just people on the Internet that I ran into or people in real life who I wanted to to have deeper discussions with. And sometimes it's really hard to get people to sit down and have deep discussions with you if it's not part of a project. I do think that's a thing. Yeah. What I've seen some people cross the line into is like you meet someone at a social event um, and you strike up a conversation with them and they don't seem to know how to say, hey, you're cool. I'd like to keep in touch with you without handing them a business card and saying, like, we should work on something. Oh, that entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. I, I mean, some the thing is, the people I know who do it are actually like really introverted. Um, and I honestly think it's that it's almost like sort of like you said, like giving people a justification to stay in touch with them. Yeah. Or for yourself, right? Like I, th I think sometimes it's easier to socialize if you have a purpose. A lot of my socializing comes through work. I mean, I talk through, not through, I talk to an amazing number of people cause I do all the interviewing right now, not all the interviewing, but mostly interviewing for work. Mm. Um, so most of my conversations do happen through that lens of like work. But I, I also think there's like a subtle thing you can do in that where you can turn something that is for work into something more personal. And I think maybe that's what I try to do with a lot of the work oriented conversations I have, knowing that people are, are busy and they have stuff to do. And that a lot of the times the way you interact with them is in a business setting, but that doesn't have to be how it ends, right? Like I've become friends with a lot of the people that I've done interviews with here on my podcast. Um, including like I went on a road trip and, 
and like stopped by the houses of some people that I interviewed. Like, how cool is that? Like now we're friends on Facebook and I like keep in touch with their wives who I also want to interview one day. Um, and like follow their journey through life just because of one business interaction I had that became a, like a personal connection. So I think it can go both ways. Does that make any sense? Yeah. I mean, one of our first substantive conversations was a podcast interview. Oh, that's right. See, I forget. <laughs> I think cause when there's something about podcasting that's so personal, I think is a project. Um, and maybe that's why I leaned towards it in the, in the first place. It seems a project oriented towards um, authenticity and conversation versus a project oriented towards output. It's also, it, it's a very accelerated intimacy. Mm, yeah. Like you can ask someone almost anything and they will feel some obligation to answer truthfully. It's true. It's true. Ugh, that's reminding me of my like goodbye road trip. That was the other thing I did. I took a huge road trip across the, the Southern United States. Mm. I, so I'm going to switch gears a little bit to talk about loss a little bit do it I, I know it's crazy um not not loss and shame but like uh and i think this is a thing that happens as you get older where everything good is also sad <laughs> that sounds horrible but so moving to new york was amazing right it's not i'm from a super small town in rural north carolina right i mm -hmm. Grew up not having any idea that I would like live in New York. I visited New York a few times and it just always seemed so expensive, so big. Like, how would I even get a job in New York? Just like all this stuff that, that you've, you know, gets in your head when you grow up, you know, fairly low income in a small town. And I, so it was so amazing to move here. It's such a busy city. So many of the things I admire and the projects I admire are in New York City. So I can just like go to things <laughs> like they're where I am. Like how amazing is that? Um, and so I'm so excited, but at the same time, and I think especially cause I had just finished this really deep dive into like Appalachia and Appalachian video games. It, it felt like a betrayal in some ways. And I know it's not, and no one like is sitting in the South being like that Jamie, she abandoned us and moved to New York city. <laughs> um, no one's thinking that, but it's a, I think I talked to you about it when I first got there that I was so homesick when I first moved here and it's not that I didn't love it and not that I didn't want to be here, but that I felt like I'm moving further and further away from where I grew up and I, I have no clear plan for when or if I'll ever be able to come back. And I, there's like a certain sense of mourning and grief with that especially because I do feel very attached to, to the South. And I, I feel, you know, I also left during a, one of the most important elections, I think like hmm. the, the recent Senate elections. Right. Yeah. Um, and so there's, there's some sense of also like being a liberal in areas that have a lot of conservatives also like that. Right. Like they need my vote. vote. Yeah. And I left, I went to a place that doesn't need my vote. Right. Like, mm. I mean, that sounds horrible. Every place needs your vote. If you're listening, you should vote <laughs> because like it, it matters just like existentially it matters. Yeah. But like the yeah. impact of a vote definitely depends on where it's cast. Yeah. Like no one's surprised when New York city votes for Democrats. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like it's not a shocker. But like Austin, right? Like we had Beto O'Rourke and whatever, if, whether or not you like him or not, like it was the fact that that was a huge 
election. Right. And I wasn't a part of it. I wasn't there. Mm. Um, and I won't be there anytime in the future. The same with North Carolina, North Carolina has all sorts of really important elections that I miss out on. And cause I don't live there <laughs> and it, it's, it's very hard to feel like you're not leaving the people that you love, like to fend for themselves. Um, and I, I think it was made worse by the fact that, and it was fine, but I had scheduled this really nice solo road trip across the South, um, for a vacation before I left my old job. And I'd scheduled it before I knew I was leaving. Um, but then I did know I was leaving when I started taking it. So I went and my dog was dying. Like, so I even, I, that was hard cause my roommate was like keeping me in touch with what was going on with his cancer. And like, I was visiting all these people that I had known for years and years and years. And the whole time I was thinking, I don't know when I'm going to be here again. Um, and so, and it was, it was a lot of driving and a lot of being alone. I don't know if you've ever driven across the Southern United States. I mean, it takes like a whole day to drive through Texas alone, but Took the rest three. of it's also pretty big. Yeah. So, so that was really hard. So it's, it's weird. Like I'm so excited for, for this new thing that's coming, but this old thing is, is leaving and it, there's definitely a large period of time where you feel trapped in between both of them, especially, you know, New York does not yet feel like home. And I'm not sure if New York ever feels like home, if that makes sense. It doesn't seem like a homey city. I know a number of people who can basically never live anywhere else because no other place is like New York. That's true. That's true. But, I guess for um, a Southern gal, it, it's just even the way that people have conversations. I, I mean, people joke about this. By the way, New Yorkers are very nice. Everyone's oh my like, God. They're so much nicer than their reputation. Gonna, yeah. Right. People make it They're They're fine. Like they're not going to chat your ear off. And that's really some of the big differences is like some of the social niceties that I've picked up from being in the South for so long. Yeah. Doesn't work here and often is considered rude. Like, yeah. New Yorkers are extremely helpful, but very gruff. Yeah. I mean, they have a, I don't like people describe them as not being very patient, which is garbage because if you knew how often I spent my time waiting for things, <laughs> waiting for a train, waiting for a bus, waiting for people to get up the escalator, waiting for people to get out of my way on the escalator. Cause they're standing on the left and you really shouldn't stand on the left. You should stand on the right. So people on the left can walk by you cause they're in a hurry. But there's like a lot of that stuff going on. So that, that was one thing. Um, and I think my dog, especially like knowing that, um, for those of you who don't know, I had my dog for a long time. He was 15. I had had him since before I was an adult. He was one of the only consistent things. Um, oh my gosh, I'm going to cry in my life. Um, And so he had had cancer for a while and it wasn't like the kind that was internal. It was just like a badly located lump on his elbow that, that couldn't be removed because you'd have to amputate him. And it seems cruel to amputate like a 15 year old dog. Um, so eventually what happens is like the skin can't contain the lump anymore and it ruptures. And um, anyway, sorry for the TMI if anyone doesn't like cancer talk. Um, and you have to put them to sleep basically. Cause all that's left for them in the future is like a very slow, painful death due to bacterial infection. Cause the wound never closes, right? There's just not enough skin. Um, 
Yeah. So that was, that was really tough. And to, to be there for that. And meanwhile, I'm in New York and I'm thinking like, my God, techno would hate this place. <laughs> like I'm never home. I work like way longer than I've ever worked in my life. My commute's like three hours total a day, like an hour and a half there and back. And he'd be miserable. Um, but I also miss him. So, I don't know. There's a lot of like weird mixed feelings about being somewhere new. I don't know. All the positives of like loving the work, loving the people I've met. Like once you meet new people and you love them, you would never trade them, right? Like you'd never go back in time and pretend that you would want to not meet them. Right. Um, but then there's also like, you know, I miss my roommate and I miss my friends back home. and Yeah. It feels sad. The saddest part about techno, which you know, is I got in my car accident because I was driving to pick up his ashes from the the vet, which is like the worst possible story ever. It's like waiting to turn left to go pick up the remains of your like oldest friend uh, and getting smashed into a bus stop. Uh, also, you know, the funny, the funny part of that story is that I, the only numbers I could memorize in my head were my mom's and my synagogue's. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I called my synagogue, which, you know, there's, there's usually like an emergency number. I was in the hospital. I was like delirious, very sad. I was in like a neck casket. I was like my phone they had left in the truck cause it had fallen under the seat. Um, so I had to use the, the hospital phone and so I didn't have anyone's number. So I called my mom, my mom, of course, uh, freaks out cause you know, someone's calling you at 1230 to say your daughter's been in a horrific hit and run accident, stupid jerk that drove away. I hope you just didn't have insurance and like needed to be there for a newborn baby or whatever. But, um, and then I call my synagogue. And so the synagogues usually have like an emergency number at the end. So like, if this is an emergency, like call 911 and then they'll also be like, also you can call the synagogue president. So I called the synagogue president a couple times because, you know, it's a weird number and it's, you know, 12, it's midnight. Right. Um, and eventually he picks up and I, I love him where we were close, but I was like, so I'm fine. But I'm and I'm his employee, basically, right? Like, he's the president of the place that I work. So I get to tell him. And then he, like, rallies the troops, right? So at some point, uh, my really good friend, Blossom, um, and my good friend, Kyle, who you all have met in previous episodes, showed up. And then, of course, I start sobbing because, in my mind, I know I'm moving, right? Like, I'm moving in two weeks at this point. I have two weeks left to go before I, like, move to a totally different side of the country. Um, and in my mind, all I can think of is like, who the heck am I going to call in New York if I get in a car accident and like oh. weird stuff like that really kind of wind up upsetting you. It turns out I'm not going to get in a car accident in New York cause I don't drive a car, but <laughs> unrelated, um, like who's your emergency contact is like a weird existential question. Ooh. Mm. Anyway. Ooh, sorry guys. I don't know if you can tell that I sound bereaved getting that phone call was uh difficult on my end as well and, which phone uh, call of me getting in a car accident when you let me know uh and when you sent me the pictures of the car oh <laughs> like showed me the broken rear window and told me that your head had gone through it that was uh i had oh. a lot of feelings 
Yeah, it was so, it was the first real accident I'd ever been in. What was weirder, there's also comical things, right? Like, the other comical thing was I had to call my new boss, because I was like, hey, I'm going to post this on the internet, but I want you to let, <laughs> I wanted to let you know that I don't have brain damage, I'm still starting week, I'm still going to be in New York in two weeks, and like, what a bizarre yeah. um, phone call to make, it was so weird. When my, yeah. uh, when I was in high school, my my sister uh, was on this trip in Mexico with like she was in college at the time and um, it was some she was like a bio major and it was some like summer biology trip. They were going to like count lizards in Mexico and it's so specific. They got in a car accident um, and my sister like wasn't wearing a seatbelt and their van like rolled over like fishtailed and rolled over. Mm. And she was in a Mexican hospital. And as soon as we got word about this, my dad just instantly starts packing a suitcase. Um, And we don't know what city she's in. We were like, (laughs) she she was in Oaxaca at some point. Dad will just fly to Oaxaca. Like, that's what he starts doing, because that's that's my dad. He can't not go fix the problem. Um, And it's like. Dad, there's probably not a lot you can do, and we don't actually know where she is. We should probably just wait until more details come and find out what she actually needs from us. But he couldn't resist. Like, he had to pack a suitcase. He had to make a plan to go be there for his baby girl, you know? Um, Did he make it? Did he get there? No, no. Because, like, soon we got a phone call that specified, like, no, we're nowhere near Oaxaca. Also, you don't need to come. I'm taken care of. I'm going to be okay. (laughs) Like, uh, she ended up coming home early from the trip. But otherwise, like, no, my dad had nothing he could contribute to the situation, right? Um, But when I got those photos from you, I understood my dad's feeling because I was like, I need to start packing a suitcase (laughs) and in the end i knew that like there was nothing i could actually do the situation had passed and i knew you were tough and you were going to be okay but it was just that feeling of someone i care so much about is hurt and it feels like i need to do something and there's not actually anything i can do that's going to fix it but you just feel that need to do something. No, my mom would agree. She did, in fact, pack a suitcase and come immediately. She didn't have to go as far. And she, she's your mom. She did not. Yeah, and no, and that was um, it's so funny. When I called her, I hung up, called her back, and she's like, I just... Because, um, of course, I told her not to come. I was like, no, mom, I'm fine. Like, I'll figure it out. And then she calls me back, and she's crying, and she's like... Is it okay if I come? <laughs> it was the sweetest thing for her to ask. And of course, I'm like, of course you can come. Like, please come. I just feel like I have to be, you know, a really strong 30-year-old who doesn't need her mom. Uh, but I definitely need my mom, so please come. <laughs> um, so she comes. And it's great because she wound up packing up basically my entire house because, you know, I basically was told to not do any heavy lifting but also i needed to move yeah so that was a fun journey oh that's a thing i could have done it's true you could have my mom's my mom's pro
So one thing that has been interesting is how my <laughs> we're gonna do the thing in my podcast where I like awkwardly shove video games into whatever <laughs> issue I actually want to talk about is. Um, but video games have been super interesting in my life throughout this in. Uh, my my relationship with them has been very different at separate points. So when everything first started happening, I had no interest in in games of any kind. I was like too. I was think I was like as soon as techno died, like I was grieving. Um, I was overwhelmed with everything I had to do. Even though I had some free time in the evenings, I mostly just like I slept a lot. And I when I first moved to New York, also other than working, I. I pretty much just ordered takeout and slept and watched every single episode of, um, it's like murder in paradise, I think, or death in paradise. I can't remember the like Caribbean murder show. (laughs) Sounds, sounds horrible. I like murder shows just like FYI. I think I've said this before, but, um, (laughs) so I didn't play any video games. I eventually got a switch and I, I played Xenoblade Chronicles 2. A little bit before camp started. And then once summer camp starts, I don't really... The games I play are all through camp, so... I I was playing games, but they were very much so in a in a board game-oriented setting. Um, but I, I did find comfort in them for connecting with campers, which is interesting. My favorite memories of camp of this last summer are small moments of, like, playing Magic the Gathering with a camper in, like, the auditorium. Or I sat on the main lawn with, you know, four of our, our, four of our upper, I think they were upper camp girls and they like taught me a new card game that they were playing. And it was those tiny moments that I think really reminded me what I love so much about games, which is their ability to kind of, sounds so California, but like bring people to the present moment and focus on the the relationship you're forming with the person on the other side of the table. Um and so like after the summer it was really interesting that those were the moments that I really I really loved and held on to. Like summer camp can be really stressful, right? Like there's a lot of stuff going on. I think I'd called you a couple times about things that were just like eating me up. Um and so those were moments I really held on to as beacons of like this is what these are moments that are meaningful. And so after that, I actually, I've, I've recently started playing games again. Um, and I've been doing something I've never done before, which is now that I have an apartment and I have like, oh, that was the other thing. I didn't have an apartment for like four months. I forgot about that <laughs> one. I was like basically homeless right until between April and October. Is that right? September? Well, if by homeless, you mean living rent free. Uh, you know, yes, unless you count you know, the emotional toll <laughs> Yes, yes. of not having any of your things and like living in rented spaces out of a suitcase for a five Yeah. Months. Yeah. I know that feel not so nice, but, um, yeah. So now that my apartment's all set up, I've been doing this, this interesting thing that I've never done, which is actually live streaming when I'm playing my Xbox one, which was a gift to me from a, a great friend from when I left Austin and he's like, we'll play games together. I've never turned the Xbox one on until like a couple weeks ago. So I failed <laughs> at that friendship. Mark that on the, the F category to be fixed later. Um, but yeah, so I, I bought kingdom hearts three, which I've also never played a kingdom hearts one or two. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I'm just like, oh, it's fine. Oh, you know, I'll figure it out. I haven't figured it out. I've watched so many explaining Kingdom Hearts YouTube videos and to no avail. But Kingdom Hearts and, is one of those things where the more people explain it, the less sense it makes. It's true. That is what Ben Ben from Fabrouse told me was it makes sense the less you think about it. So. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I've started playing it and I, I set up the connect and I've actually started live streaming, which I know Ian, you have not joined me yet on any of my live streams. I'm sorry. No, it's it's not like you're busy or anything. Um, but yeah, it's so bizarre. I went from being very private about games, right. To, I even had a whole thing about playing. Yeah, We did a whole panel about being private. I know. And now like all I want to do is when I play games, I want to live stream it. And I, I think some of it is I like seeing my friends on the chat it's not very public although i did get 13 followers after forgetting how to jump in a game and dying which is kind of embarrassing but (laughs) it's really sad um story for another day but it's mostly just to hang out with my friends and i i think it's like a weird way for me to be alone because i'm so overwhelmed by a lot of the basically a lot of the people I have to meet a first year in any job is mostly like meeting everyone, right. And getting acquainted with people and systems and trying to understand the politics of, of each new organization you're in and trying to remember all the players and get to know them. But me trying desperately to be present every time I talk to someone, because this is their first impression of me, right. Is whatever conversation is, this is. So I want to make it one where they feel listened to and heard. So then when I get home, the last thing I want to do is talk to people, but I also miss all of my friends terribly. And so it's been like this weird middle ground of me getting to be social and, and stay in touch with them without having to like give up some of my alone time. Is that, do you, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's very like, People talk about how the internet drives people apart, um, but I feel like what the internet does is there's like being by yourself and then there's being around people and the internet allows a lot of gradations between them. And sometimes it's like, oh, I can find a point in between being alone and being with company that feels right. And sometimes there are relationships that work best at that point. And sometimes there's relationships that work best all over the spectrum, but wouldn't exist if you didn't have the ability to keep them in this sort of like low energy contact. That's so beautifully said. I love the spectrum of connection. Like that's a really nice visual. Thank you. Um, Like the technology has not you know, change the way we are together, but just given us more dots on that line in between not talking and talking. Yeah. I mean, I feel like what people misunderstand about social media is like, I have people on Facebook who, you know, like I maybe went to high school with, and then if not for Facebook, I never would have talked to that person again, but you have this very passive way of staying in contact with the person And then suddenly you find out that your lives have actually taken you in similar directions. And you're like, oh, hey, I've seen your posts and I've noticed that you care about some of the same things I care about. And I never would have known about that at the time. So true. And now suddenly you have this closeness that you never would have had because you would have just completely lost touch with that person. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was so many of my interviews for Appalachian Gaming was just like people from my hometown Mm -hmm. that I noticed that I either remembered caring about gaming or that I noticed like was doing a lot of it or at least I had their hair funny colors. So like surely they play video games as well. Um, 
Yeah, no, it's very true. And I think for people who do lean towards introverted, where that full, I don't want to say full frontal, but like <laughs> that intense, um, those intense in-person conversations, you like, I feel you probably might disagree because sometimes we spend a lot of hanging out where I'm like kind of spacing out a little bit, but I feel like when I'm paying attention, I'm really good at it. I don't know. Am I wrong? <laughs> did, did you think I was going to disagree with that? I don't know. Like I, I sometimes feel this is how I know maybe I'm okay as it is. I'm always, I'm constantly worried that I'm not being attentive enough. No, you're I'm one of the most active listeners I've ever known. Oh, that's good to hear. Cause I feel horrible about it often. That's probably why you're so good at it. Yeah. Well ask Kyle Armstrong. He's been around me for a long time. And <laughs> okay. Give me his number. He definitely might disagree with like how attentive I am. It's like I'm either on or off. I think it's pretty much what mm. he would say. Um, but I feel like when we hang out in person, I have to keep reminding like it is actually OK to just space out. You don't need to give me your undivided attention every second. Oh, but I feel like I have to in person. And maybe that's like a thing where the Internet allows me kind of the, the space to not feel like I need to be so present, which is funny because I work at summer camp, right, where like for two months out of the year, that's what I need to do, right? Is be fully a hundred percent present. And so I feel like the other 10 months, which also involves having to be fully present because I'm still building connections throughout the year and building community and trying to bring people together around science and technology in a values and ethics based way. But that when I get home, I'm like, man, I miss so many people, but I don't, I want to be selfish. And I want to play this game that kind of sucks a little bit. I know this mm. is probably not a hot take, but Kingdom Hearts 3 sucks a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> People don't like it because it's good. I know, but in the same way that I love Diablo 3 and playing Diablo 3 with Kyle because it sucks, so I don't really have to pay attention. Um, I feel the same way about Kingdom Hearts 3. <laughs> you know, come to think of it, I feel like a lot of games you have talked to me about are games that sort of have a reputation for being not very good but weirdly satisfying Maybe. Well, I'm beginning to worry that I just don't like games that much sometimes because I feel like every time we talk about a game I'm playing, I'm like, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> I mean, but I love it. It's like eating ch- crappy chocolate. I mean, my favorite genre is adventure games. And in part, it's like, oh, sometimes I want to make adventure games because I love them. But also, I think I want to make them because I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the reason I at one point wanted to be a therapist because I didn't like um, I didn't like a lot of my therapists growing up. <laughs> I was like, well, I should be a therapist. Because I didn't like a lot of people, and I figured I could fix them and make them more likable. I make jokes about not liking people, but everyone knows that I love them and that I'm like deeply and aggressively concerned with other people's well being. I mean, but that's the other thing. I've I've discovered that my job and the jobs I love are actually similar to, to game design. I have a whole theory I'm working out on this for another day. But this idea of constructing experiences that even though they're challenging still allow for fun and laughter and the feeling of play and also are designed in such a way that they can be easily shared. Um, which some one player games I think are easier to share than others. Right. So this doesn't necessarily mean that everything has to be collaborative, but that an experience is shareable in some way. Mm. Um, and the the challenging but fun, I, th- I think, is probably key that, you know, when you're in an environment that emphasizes discovery and learning, um, in addition to collaboration and connection, you really have to, to balance that 
you know, desire to learn and push yourself, which can be unpleasant sometimes because doing things you're not good at can be unpleasant. Um, with that sense of like, you know, achievement points that Xbox gives me so nicely, <laughs> like achievement unlocked, right? Like friendship unlocked. I don't know. Um, so I've been thinking about that a lot too, that one of the reasons I've been coming back to games is because it reminds me of what an experience can be like in some ways. Like, I don't know. This mm-hmm. is kind of where I'm at with games, but you your relationship has changed with games too. Well, hmm. Yes and no. I mean, in one sense, I I turn games into work a lot less these days, uh, which you would think would make them more enjoyable. But I'm actually like, oh, I miss turning games into work. <laughs> We're come full circle back to the millennial conversation about all yeah. your projects. All your hobbies should be projects. Well, yeah, when my channel started out, it was very much like it was a gaming channel. Um, and I've kind of always used games as a platform to talk about other things. Um, so like my first video, it's like, oh, it's about a game developer, but really it's about internet fame. And then, you know, why are you so angry? It was like, oh, it's about this drama that's happening in games culture, but really it's like a springboard to talk about male entitlement as a concept. Um, and it was sort of like an empowering thing to realize that like, I don't have to use games as a springboard. I can use other things as a springboard. Like I've talked about movies and I've talked about art, um, and, now, sometimes I talk about politics and it's not a springboard. It's just like, I'm just going to take the thing that I would springboard to and just make that the subject. Um, and I've been happy with that in a lot of ways. But definitely, like, lately I've been like, there is a satisfaction of making a video essay about games that I feel like I don't get from any other subjects. Um, I find when I make videos about movies, I enjoy making them more. But then... uh I am excited about them existing less like after the fact. Like I I did this eight part series on Mad Max Fury Road over the summer last year, and it is probably the most fun I've ever had making a video. But once it was done, it was just kind of done. Um, And a lot of my games videos, like I actually find myself wanting to go back and rewatch them and like go into those thoughts again and build on them in future videos. Um, So I don't know. Uh, It's a priority for this year to be like, hey, you know, when you're taking breaks between political videos, talk about games again, because that's I don't know. There's just it's an area where like there is still so much room for new ideas or like when you're talking about movies, you know, movies are just like. There's so much already been said about movies, right? And I think that's why, like, making videos about movies is so fun, because you get to dig up all this stuff that's already been said about them and, like, just apply it in a new context. But a lot of times with games, it's like you got to dig up stuff that was said about completely different media and then find ways to apply it to games, because, like, critical theory related to games is still such a new thing. Like, it's not, you know, it's not like oh, we just started doing it in 2019 or anything. Um, But it's still like you're looking at the last 20, 30 years at most where people have been applying these different lenses to games. And there's just something incredibly satisfying about feeling like you are at least a little bit not just applying theory, but kind of like moving theory forward, even just a tiny, tiny little bit. And that's really exciting.
how much this this comes to mind because I was thinking about how long I can do my channel. Mm. How much longer do you think you will be doing this podcast? Hmm. It's a good question. If you ask my channel numbers, I haven't been doing it for a while. <laughs> um, You're clearly like, not done. No, I'm not done. It, it feels a little bit like a, a round two. Um, I want to keep doing it. There's something about it that's that's really pleasant for me. I think sometimes I can get really wrapped up and like I don't have enough listeners, even though I have a fair amount for someone with a fairly new in inconsistent updating <laughs> pattern. But I want to do it because I think there's something meaningful about having conversations. I There's so many other ways that I have conversations in my life. And I think that the ones I have on podcasts are a way for me to be, to, to practice and hone my craft of asking good questions. Cause I think ultimately that's, what I really want to get better at. Like I want to ask better questions because I, I still want different answers than the ones that the world gives me for a lot of things. And I think that the only way to get different answers sometimes is to ask better questions. And I, I don't know. I really like it. I, I want to keep doing it. I don't know how that will look like or what it will look like, but I, I think I have something special that is good. I think the way I talk to people is, you know, unique and my own. And of course you're biased, so you'll probably agree with me, but. I was going to say no. (laughs) (laughs) Ugh, it's true. And I want to start live streaming too. If if only because like I, I was thinking about it the other day. I was trying to find, I posted it on Twitter. I was trying to find streamers and please if you know them please message me after this who are like chill and like fairly low-key like just hanging out with someone in some ways there are some live streams on like tiktok oh that's a thing i've gotten into this year's tiktok we shouldn't even go there but like there are some people live streaming that like it's very much so like a performance in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and technically i think you know we want to get real theoretical we're all performing our identities to some extent every day all day right but that's also a spectrum yeah like how how much stress a performance feels to me maybe but i don't know i i want to continue to to find ways to connect with people and i i think the podcast is one of those i worry sometimes that it's not consistent and i won't like it won't be good but then I remind myself always that the point of my podcast is not to have listeners it's to have conversations I, I used to go to a therapist. This is how we could end it. My last therapist in, in Austin, I went to, um, I had, you know, I, I there's nothing, I don't have a, a diagnosis of anything that requires or suggests that I go. I am a big fan of proactive mental health care. And so I wanted to like have a relationship with someone in the event 
the likely event that something traumatic happened in my life. And it did. So go me for, for thinking ahead. But I used to go and really worry that I was super boring when I was talking about my personal life, because part of my personality is that I like to learn a lot and have a lot of things that I'm involved in and doing because I think all of them are way more fascinating than whatever is happening in my personal life. And I wonder if that maybe is a problem. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Maybe, but now I'm using the word should to describe my personality. Maybe it's just how I am. This is not a, like, this is not a, a future predictor of what future episodes will be like, by the way, this was like a one-off intermission save point kind of, kind of deal. So thank you for listening to the <laughs> broadcast. <laughs> you can follow Jamie Dale at uh, JD Septicon on Twitter. Thank you. And the website is gamingbroadly.com. That's good. Well done. It is not okay. an org. It's not a private organization. Dot, dot info. Yeah. And uh, Instagram, also JD Septicon, but only follow if you're interested in realness. <laughs> That sounds horrible. I'm just kidding. No one's real on the internet. Um, except for maybe the Kardashians. I think that might be how they really are. I should cut that part out. What a boring <laughs> statement. And you can follow me at <laughs> Innuendo Studios on YouTube, Twitter, and Patreon. You're so good. You have such the such brand fidelity. Uh, not my first rodeo. <laughs> It's not even my first uh, gaming broadcast rodeo. No, and it it won't be the last. We have another one (laughs) scheduled. Do we? We do. It's about the thing. Okay. I'll I'll tell you after. Anyway, everyone, have a lovely day. I hope (laughs) I hope this podcast finds you finds you well. And as my old rabbi would say, go out and do good work.